Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Welcome back. It's the World Soccer Talk podcast, the only podcast that focuses on watching soccer on TV, online, and apps. Coming up on this week's show, BR Live adds another club TV channel. NBC announces new details about its new streaming service. Has Christian Pulisic been a dud in the Premier League? DAZN signs a deal with a major TV provider. Plus letters from you, the listeners, in our mailbag section. My name is Christopher Harris, and I am joined by my co-host Kartik Krishnaya. Kartik, we, we missed you last week, but uh, so I went. I went ahead and kind of talked for about for about twenty minutes. Well, actually, a little bit less than that. About just uh, going to South Wales and going to see the Swansea match. And, and, and actually, I, I didn't talk so much about the Swansea match. I talked more about the Champions League and um, just the difficulty in actually trying to find a place to to broadcast it because it's on BT Sport. Which is either you know, if you have satellite or if you have cable in the UK, it's easy to access. But most places I went to, most hotels, most pubs, did not have it. So uh, I missed uh, most of the Champions League last week. But uh, I'm glad to be back in the states. But it, it's such a different experience though, going over to to watch games over there, um, whether it's on television or in person. Uh, one thing to add to kind of what what I talked about in last week's podcast is. When you go to a match there, in Kartik, you know this probably better than anyone too. But when you go to the match there, you're in that, you're in kind of that 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 world. So you go to whichever match it is, whether it's you know Fulham or Chelsea or Swansea or whoever it may be. But outside of that, you have very little idea of what's going on in the rest of the world. And for us, the soccer fans who consume most of our soccer through television or streaming. I mean, we might be watching two games at the same time. We might have uh, different feeds from around the world. We know exactly what's going on. But when you're at the match, you pretty much know what's going on in that match. And maybe if you're lucky, half-time scores at half-time. And if you're lucky, post-match, uh, full-time scores. And then you live in that world and, and then you move on. What's your take, Kartik? What's your experiences been like when you've gone back to the UK? Um you don't you don't really watch football there i mean it's difficult to do that to watch football and there's other things um you want to do while you're there and seeking out a pub or a hotel bar or whatever that's got sky and now i'm talking about the premier league specifically um that has sky that you can watch um a match directly is difficult. And um, I think with the apps and the, um, 
and with the uh, sort of programs the FA has launched for the WSL via app and uh, the iFollow, uh, obviously you have to pay for iFollow, but if you follow a club in the football league, those are actually probably easier uh, and more accessible uh, for, for, for most people and certainly easier to, to, to access than watching the Premier League. Uh, the Champions League, I um, I don't know if I've been in England recently during a Champions League match day. I was many years ago, and it was difficult to find games, um, except the, the matches that were on ITV, right? That was obviously much more accessible. But, right. yeah, it's difficult uh, to find games in uh, – in, in, in the UK to actually watch matches. And I think this is something that a lot of US-based fans don't don't realize. They think it must be some sort of nirvana. Uh, when you go to the UK, everybody's talking football. Everybody's watching football. It just, that's just not the case. I think that is during the international tournaments uh, and, and maybe some other uh, select events, but uh, that you, you can... Uh, you, you can survive there, much like a lot of us survive here without interacting with American sports uh, too heavily, uh, without any sort of interaction. Uh, and quite honestly, it's probably easier to turn on the television there and avoid football completely uh, compared to turning on the television in the States and avoiding American sports. Absolutely, which it's it's crazy when you think about it uh, in terms of how things are. But I I would say, I mean, I I say this with full confidence that the average American soccer fan is more well informed about what's happening in the game of uh, world soccer in terms of having seen more. Eventus games, having seen more games from maybe the Premier League, even the Premier League, you mean having access to all of the games if he or she wants to, having access to all of the best leagues from around the world, and having a, a better understanding and knowledge of the game itself versus someone in England who right now probably who wants to watch La Liga, who cannot watch La Liga because uh, it's not available, won't be available until January on Sky Sports, and even then it's selectively. You go down the list, even the Premier League, I mean, most of the Premier League matches are not on television. Yeah. So if you go in person... Match of the day. Yeah, match of the day, yeah. and even match of the day, that that is... Um, it's biased because you, yeah, you, yeah. you gain your knowledge from one program and, and that's your lens. That's, that's what you think happened. And oftentimes it might be, there's might be another side of the story of what happened in those games that you missed out on. But, um, yeah, it's always, it's always, um, uh, I don't go back there very often, but when I do go back, uh, I always, uh, always see some interesting observations and always learn a few things and, uh, and always come back and appreciate the amount of accessibility and the amount of quality and quantity of coverage that we have in, in this country. Now, Kartik, uh, it's been a busy week from this past week. I know you've been busy doing lots of uh, things soccer-related, but what for you stood out in terms of um, your best, your favorite matches from this past week? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I mean, I, I was fired up for the Milan Derby, and I guess that was just that was just bad. And and you know, there's been a lot going on uh, uh, between the club I work for, Miami FC, and the club I uh, I help run, Himershi FC, uh, locally in in South Florida. Both those clubs are in South Florida. Himershi FC, by the way, is the kind of the Phoenix successor club to the Fort Lauderdale Strikers. So, uh, just been um, just been a crazy week where I, I've been living and breathing football 24-7, but not uh, – and have even fallen behind on political news and world news, uh, but not watching as much football from Europe or, or, or other domestic games as I would like. So didn't get to see much. I was fired up for the Milan Derby. It was awful. Uh, 
Inter look like under uh, Conte, they if they were able to uh, in the next couple windows really overhaul uh, elements of that midfield, that they're going to be uh, a contender. They're going to they're going to push Juventus maybe next season. Uh, but as far as AC Milan, just awful. Um, so I guess my match of the week would have to be uh, Chelsea Liverpool, just because I didn't see a whole lot else. I mean, the Bundesliga matches I watched were were generally pretty one sided. Um, Eintracht and Dortmund was also kind of a shout for the best match of the week. So maybe I'll go Eintracht-Dortmund just uh, uh, because that was a draw, and whereas the Chelsea-Liverpool match had a, had a winner. For, yeah, for me, um, I watched a lot of soccer this past week. I caught up on a lot of the soccer I missed when I was uh, in England and Wales. So I went ahead and uh, basically indulged myself <laughs> and watched a ton of stuff from around the world. My favourite match actually was um, Leicester against Spurs. Um, for a couple of different reasons. One is uh, Peter Drury on the commentary in, in his line uh, when Harry Kane scored um, the goal. He says, he scores lying down, Harry Kane. That's how good he is, which I thought was really, really kind of funny and, and, and very appropriate. But then but then the controversy in this match, I mean, well, actually, the second thing would have, would have been just Leicester, uh, the fight back that they had and, and going on to, to win this game. And I thought... Um, Madison especially had had a, uh, an exceptional game, but the controversy in this game you, you have to talk about it is the uh, is VAR, and you had which changed the match because if that goal had been allowed, uh, Spurs would have gone on to win this match and kill it off uh, pretty effectively. But regarding that controversial decision uh, with the offside, it's it's insane, Kartik, in terms of the VAR technology and. The angles that we have to look at it or the, that the VAR crew have to look at it in terms of determining whether it's offside or not, going down to essentially down to inches, if not centimeters or millimeters. It, I mean, it, when it's that tight, it should not be it should be it shouldn't be offside because you, you don't know 100 uh, percent based on that angle whether or not it was offside. The comment I made on Twitter is that I can foresee the Premier League probably at some point in time, maybe next season or maybe the next couple of seasons, adopting the 360-degree camera angle technology that La Liga uses for a lot of the top games where you get you mean, you mean get to see every little angle and you can really go in and see whether or not uh, something like that would be offside or not. It just, it would just, uh, it's a shame because that really, especially for Spurs fans, but to me it's just so... You mean when it's that, that that tight and that that narrow of a margin? You mean I don't think VAR should be used because you mean it. And even with, when VAR is being used, you still can't say for, for sure that that was offside. Yeah, I, uh, I I don't understand what happened to the to the interpreting the spirit of this law, which was daylight. Uh, there is no way that's offside. And I was sitting with a uh, uh, with a, a colleague, or, or not a colleague, but someone who works at, at uh, another soccer entity yesterday for lunch in in Miami, and we were talking about all the similar calls in the Women's World Cup uh, leading up to the REA. Uh, disallowed goal in the Spurs match, and um, you know, this, this is a pr- prominent person in the sport uh, understands uh, this stuff and, and says that th- th- there's going to have to be uh, some sort of reinterpretation from IFAB this coming summer, uh, summer of 2020. That, I, that, that this can't linger much longer because what's happening is um, there are uh, there are uh, 
there are situations now where um, a player may in fact not be offside, but because of the camera angle, uh, we're, we're calling it offside. And we also uh, in the past had an issue with, uh, uh, with, lines people putting up their flags too soon right Mm -hmm. now they're being instructed um to keep their flags down in order to uh allow uh var to take a look in in leagues that have var and competitions that have var and what he was saying to me was this is now creating uh wild inconsistencies and even how lines uh people uh judge offside and uh depending on the match depending on the venue depending on the circumstance uh it's it's actually entering so so one of the cases for var chris was we do not want to have all these calls be subjective right we want it to be kind of letter of the law right uh as we talked about yesterday at lunch there is more subjectivity now in these sorts of calls particularly offside calls than ever in the history of of televised football Mm -hmm. so um, you're actually adding a second layer of subjectivity, therefore uh, creating perhaps more uh, margin for error. Now, I know VAR proponents, uh, which are I think most of the people who listen to this show would would disagree with that, and I I, I think it's a very it's a very uh, um, healthy debate to have. But I also think we're on a slippery slope. So uh, maybe it's up to IFAB if we're in a VAR era, and we're not going to get rid of VAR, right? I'm, I'm uh, we're all resigned to that. Uh, to uh, correct the interpretation or the way the law can be interpreted or misinterpreted. So uh, watch this space. Uh, this, is, uh, uh, this is going to be ongoing. The other thing about this, Kartik, uh, just to e- end it before we talk about some of the, the other matches, is that uh, if it's going to take that much time to figure out whether that is onside or offside, and then even the camera angles, you can see that they zoom in, and then they add the lines, and then they go into... I mean, that much scru- scrutiny on something that should be black and white, should be either he's onside or offside. I mean, even after all, all the replays, in all the different angles, everything... There's still no no evidence that 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 person was offside or not. So at that point, it's like okay, if it's that tight of a margin, and you can't really tell whether or not, depending on how the even the shoulders and all that stuff, you I mean that should not be offside. So yeah, re- absolutely ridiculous. A couple more things, Kartik, in terms of what I watched, uh, and, and feel free to chime in too if there's anything else that you saw that was interesting. This past weekend, watching a lot of um, the Premier League on NBC Sports, and um, we knew it before, but we saw it this weekend, what a promotional machine NBC Sports is. So in the past, well, last season we got on their case because of all of the uh, the Microsoft Surface uh, kind of basically discussion and using the tablets and all that, which is really kind of in-your-face uh, advertising there, uh, as well as the, uh, the Pick'em game. But this past weekend was all rugby. They had so many different ways of promoting the Rugby World Cup. They had um, Joe Prince-Wright uh, giving his equivalent of, okay, here's the all the teams that are playing in the Rugby World Cup, and here's the Premier League uh, version of that. So New, Zeal- New Zealand would be Manchester City, you know, Wales would be, I don't know, uh, Liverpool, or whatever would may-, may be going through that. And just the, the ads, the promos... I mean, there are ads in, in quotation marks, but it's promotions. Promoting the, the Rugby World Cup was... Man, I mean, it, it was it was a lot at times. The other thing too, I watched uh, the Bundesliga on Monday, uh, Wolfsburg against Hoffenheim, and um, 
to me, I, th- I think the Monday games in the Bundesliga are a, are a waste. Um, there's poor attendances because the fans are, um, a lot of them are boycotting these games, but also because of in terms of travel, it's difficult uh, for away fans in Germany to, to get to these away games on Mondays. Um, although it doesn't seem to be a problem for fans of the I mean, Premier League clubs in England on Mondays. But just the game was very flat, um, a lot of empty seats, not a good atmosphere. And I, I didn't think it was that good of a game either. The Mondays, for me, with the Bundesliga, are not a good look. The, the, the funny thing about all of this, though, too, is that Fox had, had their full crew. Even though this game was on FS2, which we've been told in the past, when it's on FS1, they have a crew. The full crew, when it's on an FS2, they don't have the full crew, but uh, it sounded like uh, Ian Joy and Alexi Lalas and uh, Jovan Karoski were working it uh, on Monday, but it just seems like a waste for those Monday games for me. How about you, Carter? Anything else that stood out? Yeah, I mean, I I thought it was kind of uh, odd that uh, I I saw an ad, I took a screenshot of it, uh, NBC advertising Chelsea Liverpool with uh, uh, a silhouette of... uh, uh, of Mo Salah and then a silhouette of Pulisic. So I'm thinking, ah, oh, gosh, it's the same, same nonsense, right? Then later that same day, and this was during the week last week, um, I go online and I see a banner ad for the match, and Pulisic is replaced by Tammy Abraham in the banner ad for NBC's coverage. So I I think they might be catching on. Uh, and I think that the change was made after Pulisic didn't play in the uh, the midweek Champions League match. Uh, uh, against uh, uh, against uh, uh, they played Valencia, Valencia right? Yeah, yeah, Valencia, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, coachless for uh, managerless Valencia, but yeah. So that 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 uh, uh, I saw that change was made. Although, um, look, I mean, <laughs> there still seems to be if you if you uh, various NBC promotions that maybe are canned promotions that were put in place earlier in the season we're only a month into the season but put in before before the season still had Pulisic's image on it including uh, the the promotion for Premier League uh, mornings Uh, we'll we'll see how this plays out Uh, although it's possible he'll play more in the future who knows well well, the the only ones I had uh, seen were the the Mo Salah and Pulisic and and that was all I I saw from this past couple weeks I I think maybe on television they never replaced it actually Chris now that you mentioned that Um, so I saw it on TV and online, and on online, the banner ad eventually replaced Pulisic with Tammy Abraham, uh, which is a smart move. I think you're right. On television, when I went back and watched the DVR of Saturday, I think it was still Pulisic. Yeah, and at this point, I think um, hopefully NBC is looking at the situation and goes, you know, the chances of him getting a lot of playing time or minimal at this point, uh, just because there are other players uh, ahead in the, pe- in the pecking order that are playing better. Um, there's a lot of depth to the squads. I mean, you've got, you mean, you got William too, who's, who's playing well. You've got Pedro, you've got, you mean, Mount, you've got a lot of uh, star midfielders that are doing better and, and actually producing more. So, so in, in many ways, I think NBC sports, um, really screwed this up in terms of just the overpromotion in the in the the weeks leading up to the ch- the new season and the focus on him it was just so so much that it's backfired at this point you mean other than maybe a midweek uh, we'll see today on Wednesday we're recording this against Grimsby chances are he'll he'll uh 
you mean he'll play in this game he better play in this game you mean but it's one of those things that i think even grant wall had posted something on twitter saying like you mean it's an outrage that um pulisic didn't get a chance to play after he was sent home early from the uh, u.s camp uh so he didn't play against uruguay and then didn't didn't play in in the premier league but to me at the end of the day why is it an outrage I mean, this is what I don't understand. Go, go ahead, Chris. Well, I, 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 I don't know what Grant's thinking, but in terms of, you mean, I, I guess that he should be, if you're going to send him home early to go tra- training with the Chelsea squad, that he, sh- that that's on the kind of the thinking that you mean you're not going to, he's not going to get injured, so he's going to be playing maybe in one of the next games. But, but to me, at the end of the day, I'm not surprised at all. I, I don't think you are, Kartik, in terms of no. his, his level right now. Yes, he has the capacity and the potential the potential to do well and to rise up but it's week in week out it's a, hot, a tough hard competition you mean only the best play and it's it's based on on skill it's based on not 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 you mean whoever got the the biggest transfer fee and uh he's got a big mountain to climb hopefully he will climb that mountain and, and improve but uh, i think that there should be a reality check among a lot of Americans and a lot of uh, U.S. soccer media that he's decent, but he's he's not the best. Yeah, there's a real lack of perspective and lack of uh, uh, tolerance of other views uh, that have uh, permeated the American soccer uh, fandom and media landscape about this single player. Uh, we talked about it, I think, eight, six to eight months ago when Craig Burley uh, – was getting all sorts of hate uh, tweets because he was pointing out very rightly that Pulisic was not uh, had become basically a bit part player at Dortmund. He played a little more at the very end of last season, but uh, the period of time where Dortmund um, uh, was was playing its best football last season, he wasn't in the team. Uh, and then he eventually got into the team because of injuries. Marco Royce always gets hurt. We know this. Mario Goodsa always gets hurt. Uh, and uh, so Pulisic uh, ended up playing a lot the last two months of the season. But prior to that, he was uh, he was an unused sub in a number of matches, just like a number of Bundesliga matches, just like he's been in the last uh, two Premier League matches. And, and you include Champions League, the last three uh, matches in all competitions here. There is a lack of perspective about the fact that guys can be really good at 17 and 18 breaks break into first teams of European clubs, and then stagnate or fade. In fact, there's a guy in the Chelsea team that's playing not much more than Pulisic that fits that profile, named Ross Barkley, who at 18, 19 at Everton was phenomenal. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, 23, 24, 25, not so much. Uh, there are a number of players like that in, 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 in top flight European football. I mean, there are a number of players in the Bundesliga through the years who have been like that. I mean, I would even argue a guy like Ju- Julian Draxler has completely dropped off. Really good player at 2021, uh, not so good a, s- a couple of years later. And then there's, there's a number of other guys who got Germany caps before the age of 21 who became – uh, big part players in in, in uh, uh, the the Bundesliga or wherever that Marco Marin is another one who signed with Chelsea yeah. at a young age was was good in the Bundesliga completely faded was a worse player at twenty three or twenty four than he was at at nineteen or twenty so there is no growth is not linear and American fans uh, have this very lazy and it's not everyone but it's a good chunk of them very lazy narrative that Pulisic broke into the Dortmund team at seventeen he was a star at eighteen. 
um, this growth must be linear. So at 21, which he's just turned this past week, he's got to be a global superstar. He's got to be better than Mason Mount. He's got to be better than as someone was arguing with me on Twitter last week about Pedro. Oh, how could you play Pedro ahead of uh, Pulisic? And I thought, are you kidding me? Pedro's won the World Cup. As a starter, Euros as a starter, a couple Champions Leagues at Barcelona, a couple La Ligas, Premier League, FA Cup. I, I don't care that he's 32. You, you don't trade that pedigree where he contributed to all those teams, okay? Um, in fact, I think he's been very underrated in his career because he's played uh, in the shadow of Xavi and Iniesta and Messi and and, and now Eden Hazard at, at Chelsea. Um so I, you can't have any perspective in this argument, Chris. And what it's doing – I don't want to rehash all the arguments why there are, there are limitations with Pulisic, although I will point out once again his defensive – his inability to read the game defensively, which was obvious last year at Dortmund, which is why Luciana Favre uh, began not to play him as much as, as Thomas Tuchel who's a very attack-minded manager, had played him, and then uh, uh, Peter Bosch and, and, and Peter Stoger um, – I, I, I want to point out that for American analysts and people who want to be viewed as serious, objective analysts of this sport, and there is a bit of a, a glass ceiling for Americans. I'm not going to deny that. And you'll have the British people, uh, people in particular. Some are very condescending. Oh, we don't want to hear uh, about Americans. They don't really understand. We don't want to hear from Americans. They don't really understand this sport. Um, they uh, and, and there's that bias and that sort of um, stereotype you have to break through, it's really damaging to just be championing very uncritically one player uh, and not having any perspective about the players he's competing with at Chelsea, you know, Mount, Pedro, Willian, Barkley, I mentioned, who's had a, a similar career pack to Pulisic so far, uh, hudson Adoy, who's going to come back shortly uh, from injury. So I, I think just for the credibility of American pundits mm-hmm. and American, I, mean, I guess fans who don't cover the sport but are just fans of the sport, it's a different thing. But for people who are journalists and writers and, and on-air commentators, they need to be uh, a little more nuanced in their takes on, on this Pulisic situation. He is not playing for a reason. Right. Okay, and that doesn't that doesn't give you license to then impugn the motives of Frank Lampard, uh, which is happening in in just a- happening all the time. Anytime I log on Twitter, I mean, people have noticed I tweet less. A lot of the reason that I'm tweeting less these last couple of weeks is because of the pu- what I call the Pulisic police, which seems to be the majority <laughs> of American soccer fandom. Um, there is there is no nuance, and there's also an impugning of the motives of Lampard. Oh well, he's English, so he wants to play other English players. Well, you know what? If you actually had perspective on the Premier League, you'd realize it's it's very rare an English manager gets a chance at a top club. It is even rarer a former great English player gets a, a chance to manage the top club he was a star at. So um, he's he's trying to break through. He's fighting against the odds as well. Um, irrespective of what um, the very biased American uh, uh, fan thinks. So there's just a lot more nuance and perspective needed in this, and credibility is being damaged, I think, as uh, we go on in this, uh, this, this circus, as it's been uh, any further. My, my biggest complaint about the U.S. soccer media and the, the way that they cover the sport is that they have an uh, inferiority complex, and we saw this with the Bundesliga when Pulisic uh, was playing in for Dortmund, and he was looked at as almost the savior. That that this is this is the man that's going to go ahead and change the way that the Bundesliga, uh, the popularity of the, the entire Bundesliga in the United States. And we had 
one of our we had a special guest on the show probably about a year ago maybe probably about two years ago now that asked whether or not uh, asked me if Pulisic would move the needle would basically be able to get tons of people now watching the Bundesliga just because of this one guy and I think I answered no I said there might be a marginal increase but that's that one player is not going to have that dramatic of an impact uh, of uh, driving fans to watch the entire league and all the history and all the clubs just because of one individual person. Uh, it will help a tiny bit. But the same thing with the Premier League, too, in terms of, I mean, Pulisic being looked at as a savior, as a person that would break through the glass ceiling and would, I mean, drive millions more people to watch the Premier League now because of this one American player. And, and to me, it, it is a, an inferiority complex because, you mean, we, we've been preaching this like well, last few months. I mean, the club is more important than the individual. It's about the clubs that you support. It's not about one individual player. Yes, we love I mean, the Ronaldos and Messis of the world. But those are the the outliers, and yeah, it, it's really frustrating to kind of uh, to read or see or hear the analysis that's out there about about him, and and where people kind of think that he should be playing every game, they should be getting more playing time. This is ridiculous. How how dare he? Um, and how how dare Lampard not not give him the opportunity? Well, he's had the opportunities, especially at the beginning of the season. But it's one of those things that. You mean it's you, you have a few chances. Sometimes that's all you have, and then you, you then you have to start playing. You mean in the League Cup and FA Cups to try and get back in, into his good graces. I, I think it's a fundamental misunderstanding, also by a lot of American pundits. They watch what happens when a guy is on the ball, and I'm gonna I'll say this: Pulisic, I think, is a brilliant attacking player. Uh, technically, he's one of the best players the U.S. has ever produced. He's better technically than most English players. He's te- better technically than most players in that league. Uh, he's also a, a great finisher in, in, in the 18. Um, with late surging runs in some cases, which was Frank Lampard's trademark as a player. Defensively out of position, and I noticed this uh, toward the end of the previous season at Dortmund when he was still playing regularly under Stoger, and then started the season under Favre uh, the, the last season and then eventually got dropped. He is perennially in the wrong place. He doesn't give uh, proper defensive cover. He's a guy that's kind of lazy in his his tracking back. And in a 4-3-3, which Dortmund was playing um, much of last season or a variation of it, and now Chelsea is playing, you can't have a guy on either the left or right side uh, wide in that 4-3-3 who's deficient defensively. And and that's the bottom line. Mm -hmm. So that's why he played less and less at Dortmund last season. That's why he's playing less and less at Chelsea this season. But that piece of analysis, that um, objective look at, yes, he's brilliant as an attacking player. And he probably would score more goals than Mason Mount if he were playing ahead of him or score more goals than than Willian if he's playing ahead of him. But he also will give up more. um, You know, there are also bad giveaways from Pulisic. I mean, I remember the giveaway in the Dusseldorf game last season, Fortuna Dusseldorf game, which led directly to a goal and began Dortmund's slide down the table, which uh, Bayern eventually caught them and passed them on the last uh, last couple of weeks of the season So and, and won the title. Uh, there were also those bad giveaways. We saw one of those against uh, uh, Man United. I, I want to say we might have seen another one, uh, Leicester game or, or one of the games uh, that led directly to a, a, an opposing goal or mm-hmm. an opposing chance. So that's another thing. Um, he's, his game is very uneven, um, and there are – there's now a tendency among the American fans and a lot in the American media just to obsess on the earlier part, the, uh, the former part I talked about where he's brilliant and not objectively analyze the rest of his game, which right. 
Chris then once again calls into question the credibility of some of these same people when they analyze any other player because you, you notice that they're not they're not willing to look at the, defi- the very obvious deficiencies in Pulisic's game that two coaches and let me mention the coach at Dortmund Favre really top manager yep. uh, we don't know if Lampard's going to be a top manager yet but Favre was have uh, diagnosed and and um, cut his minutes for. Yeah, and, and the other thing too is that a lot of these uh, analysts or U.S. soccer media people that are giving this analysis probably haven't been watching him that much in terms of uh, his games and, and may have watched, I mean, just some of the Chelsea games and, and watch him play uh, for the U.S. men's national team when you're playing teams like, uh, I don't know, uh, Curaçao or, or Cuba or even lesser opponents where he does shine, I mean, far far more brightly than, than what he normally does, which he is a, a fantastic player, there's no doubt. But, but the inferiority complex is, I think, a lot of uh, U.S. soccer media where they're wanting him to succeed. They're, they're losing perspective of, you know, kind of just kind of glazing over some of the uh, some of the parts that, that he needs to improve upon and just focusing so much on wanting him to succeed and seeing, the, you mean, the play that he does where he, he makes an assist, which is fantastic, but overlooking everything else and, and, and losing perspective of the whole situation. All right, Kartik, let's move on to uh, TV streaming news. Yeah, so there have been some changes in Turner's uh, Champions League coverage, which I'm sure everyone's noticed. Uh, not only uh, first set of group stage games, but they did cover uh, the playoff round uh, of two different match days. So uh, studio show is in Atlanta. Uh, no more two studio broadcasts. No more L.A. Uh, or slash Atlanta uh, and the clunkiness of those transitions. Uh, Steve Nash has been doing more standalone features Instead of being in in the studio, uh, which has been, uh, uh, I think, an improvement in in his role and the usage of him. Um, Now, the bad news from my perspective, Chris, is that Fernando Perez, who I thought was possibly the star, um, the standout uh, performer for for Turner last season with Champions League, has been replaced by uh, Aaron West. So uh, uh, there's that. I I do also have to say, though, I think uh, the analysis – uh, in the studio shows. And, and I have to say, like I said, I had a very, very busy week. Um, so I didn't get to watch any Champions League matches live. However, I did uh, kind of condense my viewing into watching Turner's studio shows. So so I actually took a more critical lens than I usually do to their studio shows, uh, Chris. And I thought it had gotten a lot better. But um, missing out on the Fernando Perez features is, is a big miss for me. Yeah, yeah, me too. It's really a strange decision. I, I reached out to Turner Sports to ask them what the reasoning was for that, and um, I didn't really get a response or really kind of any any helpful response in terms of um, any information on that. It's strange because, I mean, Aaron West is okay, um, but Fernando Perez did a lot of hard work last season, and, and to me was the standout star of the entire season of TNT's broadcast. That, those bits that he did were the ones I look forward to the most. Those were the ones I remember the most. Um, a lot of the other things kind of even glaze over. I don't rem- stand out as much. But uh, why that decision was made, it seems very strange. It, and it's probably perhaps slightly to do with Steve Nash not being in the studio anymore. So then that bumps him to, do, be, to be doing more of the standalone features. So maybe it's a little combination of, of the two where maybe Steve Nash is going to be doing some of the things that Fernando Perez would have done last season. And then you have Aaron West picking up the pieces and, and doing some pieces too. But a really strange decision there from Turner Sports. Uh, not happy with that. But I, I did miss um, all of the... Um, I missed out on all of the, the TNT coverage of the Champions League as well as Univision's coverage. So I'm um, looking forward to the next uh, match day to catch up and see how they're doing on, on, on both sides. 
Uh, next up is uh, just confirmation of some news that we talked about in last week's podcast. Uh, we mentioned already that um, Spurs TV and LFC TV is now, uh, are both now on Bleacher Report Live. And I mentioned that I believe that Arsenal TV was being added. That's confirmation that that, that, that has happened. So with BR Live, you get access to the Champions League, Europa League. And now you get Arsenal TV, Spurs TV and LFC TV on there. Kartik, uh, Man City. I'm, I'm not sure if you had a chance to check this out, um, but some. I, I had. A, I looked at this on a, on a video, and it looks really cool. But I'm not sure if you've uh, if you've seen it. But anyway, I'll let you uh, give the listeners an idea of what the news is. Yeah. So you mentioned earlier what La Liga does, and for bigger games, the 360 degree replay. Um, Manchester City, in partnership with Intel, have rolled out a highlights platform that uh, allows fans to analyze all the key moments from their own devices with uh, with camera angles and views not po- uh, possible before, uh, including multiple players' perspectives. So you can pick, let's say, uh, Sterling has the ball. You can you can pick uh, Dav- in certain instances David Silva's perspective or Bernardo Silva's perspective. See what they're viewing. Um, it's really really kind of cool. Powered by Intel TrueView, um, which is a 360-degree replay platform. The new technology allows fans to change the viewpoints of specific highlights through Manchester City's app, um, which uh, you ha- you can get on an iOS and Android device. I um, poked around at Manchester City's website uh, actually yesterday to see if I, uh, I could access this on the website, and right now I you cannot. So it's only through the app now. I think eventually they'll have it on the video player on the website. That's just speculation based on how they've rolled out things in the past, although they are trying to direct more and more traffic to their app. Um, this is kind of similar to how you can control replays in, in Pro Evolution or FIFA uh, from multiple player perspectives, which uh, I always thought was cool that you had a million camera views you could pick, mm-hmm. uh, unlike uh, instant replays in, in, in live games. In other news, it looks like NBC's new streaming service that will launch in April 2020, uh, is, which is named Peacock, will not feature any live sports. It's going to be focused on uh, either, either content they already have or some originals. Uh, it's going to be free with ads, and it's, in, it's going to include, for example, just some ideas of some of the originals they're, they're uh, going to be broadcasting. Uh, Punky Brewster, a reboot of that show, as well as a reboot of Battlestar Galactica. <laughs> no joke. Um, but as far as we can tell right now, no live sports. So they, they might have some content that might be, you mean, kind of on demand. That might be I don't know, Premier League goals of, of last season or some, something like that. But as of last year, we were looking at this and hearing some news about it, and we thought, okay, I mean, would would soccer be on here? Would, would we be able to watch soccer? And how does that impact NBC Sports Gold as well as the coverage on television? And it looks like it's going to be a direct competitor to Disney Plus uh, with original content and also some you know, back catalog, but no live sports. So very similar to Disney Plus. Last but not least, Kartik, um, some news that actually broke this morning, which uh, is, will be of interest in the future, I think. Yeah, and I think it's in the it's uh, uh, in interest now to, to to maybe a lot of fans who, who, who like sports beyond soccer. The uh, Zone has reached a uh, distribution deal with Comcast. This is a big breakthrough for the Zone. Uh, starting uh, this week, uh, we're recording on Wednesday, so by the time you listen to this, you you might have the access to it if you have Xfinity. Uh, Thursday, September twenty sixth, Comcast Internet customers who use Xfinity, it's Xfinity Flexbox for streaming apps. 
um, will gain access to the zone app. Um, this is a, a huge move for, for the zone. And I think a pretty big move for Comcast. And there are, um, because of some of the, uh, the, the fighting, uh, you know, mixed martial arts, et cetera, uh, Bellator, that sort of thing that that DAZN has covered. There is a little more interest in DAZN than than maybe uh, the average American sports fan would think, like uh, American team sports fan. Uh, and people uh, and and they've now moved people towards this kind of um, yearly subscription uh, package, uh, and uh, now more access, much more accessible than it's been uh, to this point. Yeah, I'm still so disappointed, though, that they haven't broken through on, on the soccer side in the United States in terms of coverage. I mean, globally, I mean, Canada, they have uh, the exclusive rights, the Premier League. Uh, and then in Europe and Asia, they've got a ton of European um, rights to, to, to soccer. And this could be something for maybe the next TV rights deal where, where they'll go in. Well, actually, with, with them partnering with uh, Comcast for distribution, um, maybe there's an opportunity where they see perhaps that they can uh, stream some of the Premier League in the future if they had a deal with, with Comcast. Um, but then how does that work with NBC Sports Gold that kind of really interferes with that? But I don't know. It, that's the one thing that they were missing with the the the, the, um, the rights bidding uh, recently that's wrapped up for La Liga and uh, the Bundesliga was that uh, if DAZN went in with, with a strong play and said, hey, we want to get the rights to either La Liga or the Bundesliga, on the streaming side, they've got that covered, but they didn't have any TV distribution partnership deals in place. They do now. And there's probably going to be more coming down down the road too. So um, as they get tighter and tighter with television providers, that will strengthen their position in the United States. Um, but again, it's sad that they don't have the soccer other than the J-League. But down the road, this could definitely help them greatly. TV ratings, um, we won't go through all of them. Uh, again, all the numbers we will have at worldsoccertalk.com on the homepage. Uh, the biggest numbers were 1.03 million people for Club America against uh, Querétaro. Uh, on Univision on Saturday night, uh, big number there. Uh, Chelsea against Liverpool on NBCSN on Sunday, uh, that one had 671,000 viewers. On the bottom end, uh, we had uh, Granada against Barcelona. Uh, this is the first La Liga game, I think, of the season, or maybe the second of the season, that we've gotten the numbers for. Um, and 112,000 people watched that one. Usually the number on the Bean Sports in Espanol is about two to three times uh, the number on the English side. So we're talking maybe you know, anywhere from 300 to 400,000 viewers watching um, Barcelona's game from last weekend. A decent number there, if that, if that uh, holds. And then Portland against Minnesota. So for the second week in a row, we've had a Portland game on the flagship ESPN network. And for the second week in a row, it's been less than 150,000 viewers. Uh, this was 127,000 viewers for that match. I, I, one thing I'm interested in, and again, it's it's difficult to compare BN numbers to NBC numbers for obvious reasons, but as La Liga continues this kind of three-year evolution of becoming hyper-competitive for the top teams, uh, Barcelona obviously lost this match to Granada, and they've had uh, difficulties early in this season. Atleti has been dropping points recently. Uh, Real Madrid has, uh, has been struggling even when they win matches. And this is what happened last season also. Uh, if there's more interest because these matches are more competitive in La Liga, uh, debunking the stereotype that those teams just rolled through the league and the league wasn't that competitive. In the meantime, Chris, the Premier League, I think you and I have both observed this, these games and these matches, for the most part, involving Liverpool and Manchester City, mm -hmm. yeah, you have an outlier like the Norwich game, which I 
know all the Premier League proponents will 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 shout about for the next five years, saying, "Oh, anything can happen <laughs> in a Premier League match." But yeah, you know, this eight nil uh, this weekend against Watford—that's more the norm than the than the three-two uh, Norwich win. So as Liverpool and Manchester City's matches get less and less competitive, which they have been for the last yeah. uh, two two seasons, this yeah. is the second season where they're, they're steamrolling the competition. I wonder if there is a drop in Premier League ratings in matches involving those two teams specifically, except when Liverpool plays a Chelsea like this weekend, um, because those matches aren't competitive. To be quite honest with you, part of the reason I'm watching the Bundesliga a lot more, Chris, even though it conflicts with the Premier League, is because oftentimes NBC's got Liverpool or Manchester City on, and the matches are not interesting. They're not compelling. Mm-hmm. They're, they're, they're routes, and yeah. the Bundesliga game is more competitive. And now Barcelona and Real Madrid games in La Liga are generally more competitive so this is something to watch i think it's it's difficult though too because uh you and i are both uh probably people that that, that, that like to see like to see the underdogs win sometimes but but kind of right down the middle as far as like we're looking all right, we want right, to see right. is a good competitive game you mean some good tactical ba- battles on the pitch some good you mean high intensity press whatever whatever it may be whatever whatever turns you on on the soccer field uh i'm, I'm the same way too so i will watch any soccer game and, and see some beauty out of it and, and see see some great things no matter which team i support and um but that's the thing though too in a I mean, see a decade ago I mean, I, it was just Manchester United like winning almost every single match, even even when it seemed that uh, they were going to lose at Old Trafford. And you I mean then you had uh, squeaky bum time, and then Fergie time, and then they would always you know, get get a winner at the last minute. And it became after a while for me as a neutral, it became boring. And I remember too, I think one of Chelsea's seasons, I think probably under Mourinho. where they were winning you know, match after match after match, and we were going into October, November. And I remember mentioning on uh, probably on the podcast or or in, I think it might have been an article on World Soccer Talk just how boring Chelsea was. And I, I think in many ways, though, Kartik, you and I may be the exception because if you're a Man United fan from a decade ago or you're a Chelsea fan under that Mourinho year, I mean, that, that winning mentality um, often brings in viewers, brings in new fans where they're like, okay, hey, I'm going to be a Chelsea fan. I'm going to be a Man United fan. It brings in the bandwagoners. You mean the glory hunters where yeah, whether, whether, whether it's conscious or not, sometimes it might be a subconscious thing and it hooks them in and, and then, then all of a sudden, you mean, I'm sure Liverpool's winning fans over left, left and right in the United States. Sometimes, you mean, subconsciously where you mean, they don't realize that that's what's pulling them in is that winning mentality so at the end of the day, for the neutral, it's, it's no fun. But for the, you mean the mainstream, maybe maybe this is helping more more than we think. Yeah, like Manchester City's case, club I support, uh, I have a harder time watching them now than ever because other than the, the, the lamentable couple of years under Stuart Pierce, where they were playing very, very defensively. But Kevin Keegan's teams were more fun than this um, when, when City was finishing ninth or tenth in the table every year because um, – what I see is a team that is uh, is technically and tactically superior to the opposition in every match, uh, with the exception of those outliers like the Norwich match. They're winning games generally three or four nil. And any time, and, and I have to stress this because Ole Gunnar Solskjaer erased it, and everybody in the English media was like, well, really? Um, because they have this narrative about Pep Guardiola. Any time the opposition gets the ball in a promising position, they're cynical fouling, mm-hmm. breaking up the play, and I think destroying the potential competitiveness of the match. Um, there have been some exceptions in recent matches. You know, Delafeo got a great shot off 
uh, early in the match for Watford uh, last week in a, in, a, uh, a, in a general situation where usually a City player would have just pulled them down and taken a yellow card. Right. Uh, but that cynicism, in, in, because City loses the ball so rarely, Chris, and when they lose the ball, they instantly foul. And I, I had noticed this before Solskjaer mentioned it. And then when people were questioning why well, Solskjaer is just being bitter, I said, no, I watched every city match i see it that's it's a tactic and it, it's legal uh but i think it's it's very cynical and it's very sinister in a way um it destroys the viewing experience for someone like me who even though i'm a city fan i want to see the neutrals do well um i i, I quite frankly enjoyed seeing norwich beat manchester city because uh, it was something different it was something <laughs> worth watching so uh, maybe city fans will say i'm not a true supporter anymore based on that comment but that's fine i was glad norwich won that match um but y- you know what i'm saying so yeah. there there's also just for neutrals i think the viewing experience is ruined also by the f- not only the superiority of one team but then the sinister tactics i'm not i don't think liverpool necessarily is as sinister although uh, they can be at times, uh, but Manchester City, you know, they just pull down a player. If there's a counterattacking opportunity, uh, take the yellow card, reset, and then the, the set piece usually ends up uh, fizzling out for the opposition. Yeah, my, my viewership has changed in the last de- decade. I mean, so like 10 years ago, I would have been watching almost exclusively Premier League matches. And over, say, the last five to seven years, I mean, as accessibility to other leagues has improved, I mean, I'm more likely to go ahead if it is a Man City against Watford match, like the one I watched last weekend. I watched like the first, I think, four or five minutes, and I was, I mean, it was already 2 0, maybe even 3 0. I mean, it was just insane. And. And I'm more likely to to flip that and then go ahead and, and watch La Liga or see what's happening in the Bundesliga. You mean and and look around and and actually well even the Championship or other leagues whichever league the Serie A you name it. Um, and that's something that uh, I wouldn't have done say a ten, ten years ago. Now I'm more likely to do it. I'll, I'll flip. And, and in many ways that does hurt the viewership numbers. Um, for leagues, specific leagues, but then helps the overall overall number in terms of just just you know kind of a rising tide of viewership increasing for you mean the Bundesliga and uh, you mean Serie A etc etc etc. But one thing, Kartik, uh, before we move on to the listener mailbag, is that um, you had a great article this week that uh, was published on Wednesday on WorldSoccerTalk.com on the on the homepage that talks about the burnout factor. So you and I may wake up at, say, 7 o'clock on a Saturday morning. Uh, we might tune in. I mean, there's usually a 7 o'clock La Liga game. There's a 7.30 championship game. There's a 7.30 um, Premier League game. Then there's the 9.30 Bundesliga game. Then you've got the 10 o'clock games, I mean, from around, uh, mostly from England. Uh, you've got the 11 o'clock game, usually in Spain. You've got a 12 o'clock game in Serie A so on and so forth, that what happens by mid-afternoon, and it just seems to be more now than, than it's ever been, is people start getting burned out, or they've, they've had their, 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 full, their fill of soccer for the day, and then what happens after that? Yeah, and I think that affects the MLS ratings. Now, uh, part of the premise of my article is, okay, I can see what American sports fans have, and we have a lot of these back and forth uh, on, on this podcast with the listener mailbag about American sports and American sporting culture and how it hurts MLS ratings in, in, in the fall. I get that, and I can see that is a factor. But I also say an equal factor or similar factor is the burnout that uh, people like you and I have by the end of the day, um, which is, okay, we're watching Premier League matches all day, uh, 
Bundesliga matches, Serie A matches, La Liga matches. And it's almost, you know, you start the morning with the with the Premier League, then you switch uh, to uh, potentially a Bundesliga match if, if it's, you know, Man City or Liverpool are playing in my case, and <laughs> the games aren't interesting. Um, and then, you know, you, you at the 12, 12 o'clock noon Eastern time, you watch one or the other, Bundesliga or Premier League, whichever one. Usually they both have good matches at that time on a Saturday, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and then you switch to La Liga or Serie A because they play a lot of afternoon games our time and then by the time you're done with uh, uh the la liga match it ends around five o'clock eastern time you're done watching football and then you're doing family time or you're doing whatever else uh with your time so i think that that's a big part uh of the consideration and then when it comes to sundays uh where mls has had more matches on national television it's uh it's an even quicker burnout because you've got matches taking place simultaneously. Serie A matches tend to be earlier on Sundays than they are on Saturdays. Uh, played at an earlier time, and you have earlier La Liga is playing more early games. I think maybe for the Asian television market, I'm, I'm not sure exactly why, but more early games than they used to. So uh, there are a multitude of options, and by one or two o'clock on a Sunday, you're burned out. Yeah, yeah, and just wait till the ten thirty Eastern Time game from the West Coast. You mean LA Galaxy against uh, I don't know Colorado Rapids? You're in bed by then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, or, or, or watching you know Game of Thrones, or, or just yeah, yeah. You know, just doing something completely different because you, you're just nothing against that game, but you're, you're just okay. You mean you've had enough of soccer for the day? You need to take a break, and you want to you mean have a drink or, or just uh, have some family time, whatever it may be. But anyway, check, check that out at WorldSoccerTalk.com. Uh, definitely a great article there from. Kartik. Moving on to listener mailbag, some great comments this week. Um, first up is Magic Thor. Magic Thor says BT Sport shows some uh, Bundesliga 2 matches with English commentary. So there should be on screen graphics available, but I guess it's just not worth the hassle. My question there, Magic Thor, would be whether or not the commentary in English. Uh, of the Bundesliga 2 games, whether that is actually commentary from BT Sport. So maybe there's no world feed available and BT Sport says, okay, all right, we're going to put one of our guys doing this commentary and then they've got the commentary and then they've got the on-screen graphics. That's the only question I have there. Uh, If you know, let us know or anyone else, let us know. Martin Mulcahy says, um, I really wish Fox Soccer would have the score box like NBC Sports does with the Premier League to keep up with other games going on in the Bundesliga. Um, It's unobtrusive, and I can't think of an argument against it. Well, it does happen from time to time. I know I've been watching some... Bundesliga games it's not it's not the constant where it stays on all the time and it just flips through like the, the NBC Sports does on the Premier League uh, it does pop up now and again I think in kind of a black uh, background top right corner but it is there so I um, think they it pops up when there's a goal in a game so okay. uh yeah, and if you watch, and the Bundesliga has more scoring than any league. I mean, defending in the Bundesliga has been really poor the last few seasons, so their goals constantly. So if you're watching that 9.30 a.m. Eastern time uh, time slot, when they tend to have games on FS1 and FS2, and there are a bunch of games on uh, Fox Soccer Match Pass, uh, it pops up every two or three minutes because there's a goal in one of the games. Um, but then, yeah, when I think about it, uh, I think Martin's right. They'll just show the score from that game where there's a goal, and then it'll... Um, and then when there's a goal in another game, that score will pop back up. So they have incorporated that, but you're right. Not Unlike NBC, they don't scroll through it constantly. Uh, although, I mean, the NBC thing, to be honest with you, at times gets annoying to me. <laughs> they, that it, these, the, these matches have the same score and they keep scrolling through it. But I guess it's personal preferences. 
Yeah, I like it personally, especially if I'm watching, say, or listening, or watching Swansea on one monitor, on one, and then I look over to the Premier League match, and you I mean it's Man City against Watford, and then I'm looking at the the score. Uh, bug in the right-hand corner, and I just kind of glance at it and see if if the scores have changed, anything interesting, and then go right back to to the game I was watching. So, so for me, it's helpful. Um, but for some viewers that are watching that game specifically, just that game, it could get annoying. I can see that. Uh, John Average Geek says the number, the viewing number for Portland against DC United was not good on ESPN. That game was flexed into that time. Plus, I think with all the supporters stuff happening in Portland, uh, that could have had an impact. Plus, DC United is completely irrelevant in the DC market. Um, I now live in DMV and I'm a DC United season ticket holder. Also, notice how La Liga, Ligue 1 and Serie A have late in quotation marks, East Coast start times, 2 p.m. or 2.30 or 2.45, given the popularity of Premier League in the United States. Why not use that window and also go head-to-head with the NFL? And I guess, um, yeah, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Okay, I think the, the, the argument against that from a fan perspective is trains, uh, particularly matches are in London and, and the, the team is from uh, the Midlands or up north. The trains that leave London to go back to, and it's a Sunday night, remember, not a Saturday. Uh, Saturday, they'll play as late as they want, I guess, uh, at times. But um, it's difficult to get a train back to, let's say you're coming from Burnley, uh, to get a train back to Manchester and into into Lancashire from there uh, it, it, at that time of night on a Sunday if you have to work the next morning. So that would be the argument against it from a fan perspective, from a TV perspective. It, I guess it makes sense. And we know the Premier League is a more TV-driven league than fan-driven league. Um, but the championship would never have a match, for instance, uh, at that time on a Sunday. Uh, and uh, oftentimes the championship doesn't have matches on Sundays at all. But, of course, they have the, uh, the, the midweek matches also, which are another challenge for working class uh, fans. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the Sunday games, if they are on the championship, it's usually like a noon kickoff or a, um, I think, a one thirty kickoff. Yeah, totally. Because of – and oftentimes those are the games that uh, need extra – police protection so like for example swansea against cardiff that will be a uh, i think a 7 30 a.m eastern time or 8 30 a.m eastern time game or actually maybe maybe even 7 a.m eastern time game so like a noon kickoff in the uk because they need uh, extra security to make sure there's no skirmishes or hooliganism well if i'm the football league at this point i move every cardiff game as early as possible <laughs> obviously it's worse when they play swansea and you're well aware of that chris but uh there's been more uh, acting out of Cardiff fans uh, living up to their uh, reputation from 30 or 40 years ago recently. Mm. Uh, not a good look, uh, by the way, for, uh, for for South Wales and for, for uh, Cardiff fans recently. Yeah. I, I don't include them in South Wales. They're, they're, <laughs> they're their own separate region. All right. So uh, two more to go. M. Wilson says, uh, maybe media members, certain fans and pundits aren't happy with the new style. Uh, that Gre- uh, Greg Berhalter is trying with the U.S. men's national team because they uh, they see we don't have the players for it. However, forcing a new style could well cause us to miss another World Cup. Are Gra- Greg Berhalter and U.S. soccer prepared for that? The fans are not. That's a good point, Kartik. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, you and I, long term, we we understand what he's trying to do. Short term. It's gonna t- it's gonna take time, and those players may not be at his his. his I mean, it may not be around or available to him, and trying to figure out the gap. To I mean, what I guess, I guess he has to make the World Cup, right? Because um, if he doesn't, that, that, that's another nightmare scenario. 
You you think so, but I think long term um, the change in styles, and I would like to see MLS teams and, and domestic uh, academies, youth academies, start incorporating uh, that uh, similar style of play. Uh, by the way, I mean I just uh, as an aside at Miami FC with our youth academy, I think the style and the curriculum our, our coach Paul Daglish is, is going to implement is uh, is uh, similar to Burhalter's. The style is similar and. and he likes what, uh, what what Greg's doing with the national team um, in terms of, of playing principles, but that's a that's a long term process. Like I just said, you're talking about you need to start teaching academy kids how to play this way because it's a very technical uh, uh, style reliant on on quick passing and quick movement, which um, quite frankly the U.S. has never done. Mm-hmm. Um, we've talked about it, but we've never done it. So, are American fans prepared to miss a World Cup? No, I agree with you. They're not. Uh, I think your point is very well taken. Uh, and maybe Burhalter has to become more pragmatic uh, as a coach temporarily. He's still a pretty young guy. Maybe then he moves upstairs, becomes a technical director. They hire another coach, and um, and he implements this style universally around uh, around the system. Uh, we'll see. I like what he's doing, but I do acknowledge that uh, the United States does not have uh, nearly enough technical players to play this way. Um, so yeah. something's going to have to give at some point. The uh, the World Cup qualifying is going to be very interesting because I'm sure that uh, USSF president, whoever that president will be at that time, uh, probably Codero, but is going to have an itchy finger at times in terms of you mean making sure that the results are coming through uh, in the qualifying group and that they progress pretty comfortably. Because if not... If there are some, you mean a couple of away losses or some some draws or some so losing the, those points, um, then that that I mean that becomes a huge issue, especially I mean the twenty twenty two World Cup. Okay, if US didn't make that. Uh, what impact is that going to have on the twenty twenty six World Cup in terms of sponsorship and and revenue and business dealings, um, as well as television revenue and and those sorts of things. So, yeah, let's let's hope that they they, they do okay. Uh, Vincent Dorosco uh, finishes this, it up this uh, week on the podcast. He says, uh, have you guys watched Chivas TV on YouTube? I think it's great coverage. They take you into the locker room before the game and you see and hear the coach address the team before they walk out to the tunnel. Really cool, in my opinion. I think Univision should show that for all the games. Thanks. And yeah, I, I've watched this um I haven't watched the whole game, but I did watch one Chivas TV broadcast on YouTube. Uh, it was in English, English language, and uh, the commentators were pretty bad. I, I did not uh, like the commentators, but um, going back to Vincent's um, comment about he thinks that Univision should show that for all the games. Right now, Chivas home games, um, no one has the rights to in the United States other than Chivas TV. So that's your only way to actually watch those games. And um, this is from one of the great all-time Amer- uh, Mexican clubs uh, in the United States, and they're, they're not even on U.S. television. So uh, Univision is still in talks with Chivas, and hopefully they'll reach an agreement soon, or another broadcaster will reach an agreement to show Chivas games on U.S. TV. Having said that, Chivas is not doing so well in the league in the last few seasons, so um, it hasn't been as big of a, a loss as, say, say, Club America. If they went off the airwaves, that would be disastrous. Yeah, yeah. So, although there's still a, there's still a ton of Chivas fans, and oh, yeah. I think we notice in the in the television ratings when when we go through them every week that um, there there is a match missing mm-hmm. uh, when Chivas is playing at home, and and uh, those would be. A, million plus in, in many cases yeah yeah and those away games when Chivas does play away those numbers uh, for those games are are always uh, I mean fantastic numbers great numbers there uh, 
So you can join the conversation too. You can always reach us via email through web at worldsoccertalk.com as well as facebook.com slash worldsoccertalk and on Twitter at worldsoccertalk. Plus, of course, you can always post your comments on worldsoccertalk.com. We'd love to read those out on there. If you have any questions about uh, media coverage, about analysis of, um, of soccer in the United States, about apps, about streaming, about television rights, etc. Let us know. We would love to help you out. And, and thanks for listening. You can get a new episode of the World Soccer Talk podcast every Thursday. Every episode is released on SoundCloud, Spotify, Pandora, YouTube, Stitcher, iTunes, TuneIn, Audioboom, Overcast, and WorldSoccerTalk.com. If you like the show, share it with your friends on social media and give us a review on iTunes. And Kartik heading into another weekend of soccer from around the world. What should they do? Enjoy your football. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.